Good morning. You know, one of the things of, uh, of working in a church, of, uh, of being, here, being here day in and day out, and the things that happen and, and come and go, is, is a lot of times people are sharing uh, what's on their heart and what they're struggling with and, and where we need to be praying. And uh, it's a great privilege to get to pray for you and with you and us together. But uh, when you see that uh, throughout the week, you see clearly uh, just how... Uh, many burdens that people have in their life and the things they're dealing with and what they're struggling with. And, uh, you know, you look at what's going on in the world today and what people voice that they're concerned about, whether it's their own personal things they're dealing with in their family, maybe a loved one, maybe a sickness, maybe their children or their job or finances or whatever it may be. Or, or sometimes as we get overwhelmed and we get frustrated with what's going on in the world. You see what's happening in the Middle East or you see what's happening with Russia right now or North Korea, or whatever it may be, or even our own governments, and people just get, oh, they get so frustrated, and for good reason a lot of times. And so we struggle with those things a lot, and it's easy to begin to get overwhelmed with what's going on in the world, whether it's our own personal lives or the things that are around us. And and what happens is sometimes it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to start to, as, as Scripture talks about, to lose heart, to begin to be frustrated with what's happening and what's going on. In fact, I remember taking a class in seminary. We were talking about our own uh, uh, spiritual formation, I think was the name of the class, and what you do to kind of guard your heart against not losing heart and being frustrated. And I remember my professor saying at one point that if you read through the Bible and you look at all the characters in the Bible, that you see over 50% of them do not finish well in their lives. Right? That they kind of wind down. It doesn't mean they're not... Uh, in a saving relationship with God. It doesn't even mean that they've forsaken God, but they just get tired. And they basically kind of peter out at the end and they don't really finish real well. And that's so stuck with me. And I remember thinking about that when you look at that. And it's a very real thing when you start to see all that's around you and how that can kind of creep up on you that you just become discouraged or you become frustrated. And so I want us to think a little bit about that idea with the parable that Jesus is going to teach us this morning, the, the story that he teaches us. We've been walking through several parables of Jesus the last six weeks. So this will be the last week we're doing this particular series. But we've been looking at these stories he tells and what the spiritual truths and what he's trying to teach us and illustrate. And as we've been doing that, we've been saying that Jesus is the greatest teacher there is. And he uses these stories so well to illustrate these important parts and these important points. And so we're going to think about this idea this morning. And as we do and what Jesus teaches us in this parable, I just want to remind you to think about this as we as we go to it, that Jesus himself, God comes down into the flesh, the perfect man. And when you look at his life, what it looks like, because the things he's teaching and he's telling us today when we read these parables, so marked his life all the way through it. And what I mean and what I'm talking about is our prayer life and praying. And when you watch and you see Jesus, who who's came and was fully man and tempted in every way we are, and then you see the place that prayer had in his life. Now remember, this is perfect God, sinless, and yet he prayed all the time. It's really, really humbling to think about. Who am I to think that I don't need to pray as much as Jesus did, is what kept coming to my mind as I thought about that this week. And so we're going to look at this parable and what Jesus is pointing us to and what he's talking about here. And it's in Luke chapter 18. You had it read for you just a minute ago. It's on the Pew Bibles on page 570. Uh, uh, we say this every week, but if you're visiting with us here today and you need a Bible or you know someone that needs a Bible, those are there for your taking. And so that's our gift to you. If you could use one, take it with you. If you brought your own, that's great. 
We put those there because I'll be reading from the same version that's in the pew there. But it'll be on page 570. And so as we look at this parable in Luke chapter 18, I've been saying this a lot as we look at the parables, the importance of context as we do. Uh, I've mentioned this recently, and this is nothing real, uh, any great insight, but not until recent history did we actually put chapter and verses in the Bible. That's not the way it was originally written. That's there for us to reference and to find things. But just a reminder that chapter 17 and chapter 18, we put that 18 in there, but that's not really, uh, it's not a division that was originally there. And so it's important for us whenever we're looking at scripture to take the context into account as we're thinking about it. And so if you go back and you begin to read in chapter 17, you see that at the end of chapter 17, this discussion comes up about the kingdom of God and what that looks like and when it's coming. And, and what's happening as Jesus talks to people is they're misunderstanding what the kingdom of God really means. They're looking at it in a very narrow, small way. They're thinking Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come and he's going to overthrow oppressive Rome, the government that's there, and he's going to ascend to power and he's going to reign right there. And that'll be the kingdom. He'll be reigning in his kingdom right there. And so people are looking at it in that very, very narrow lens. And so Jesus is always moving and talking and kind of correcting that and bringing that uh, to a fuller meaning and understanding. In fact, several of the parables we looked at, we talked about Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of God is like. And he says that over and over. And what we've been saying and talking about when we say that is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is the reign of God, recognizing the reign of God in all things. And so for us personally in our life to have God reigning in our life, to enter into the kingdom, it's through recognizing we can't do it ourselves and Jesus has to do it for us. Spiritually speaking, we can never ascend to a right relationship with God. We can't do it on our own. And so Christ comes and he lays down his life as a sacrifice. He does what we can never do for us and he gives it to us as a gift through grace. We put our faith in Jesus and when we do, what we're saying is, I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I can't do it. The only way God's going to reign in my life is if I give up control to him and it's all Jesus and not me. And so recognizing the reign of God in our own lives is how we enter into the kingdom, how we see that. And so Jesus was talking about these things all the time, but people were trying to put it through their narrow focus. And so a lot of times when he's saying these things, he's correcting as he goes. He's explaining. And so what you get at the end of, of Luke 17 is he's talking about the kingdom. And he says, if you look there, he says in verse uh, 20, he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And so he's talking about the spiritual implications. And he's going to say, you're not going to see it with there's the king right there. And now he's reigning. You're not going to see it quite like that. And so he's correcting that. But then he starts to talk about uh, his first coming and his second coming in Luke 17. And so we say this often. The picture of God's kingdom is God is reigning right now and Jesus is on his throne. There's nothing that's not inside of God's control. But there's an already component to that because of what Christ has done in his death, sinless life, resurrection. That's already taken place. We can be restored to God. But then there's a part that won't come to fulfillment until he returns. That's the second coming. And so what he tells them in Luke 17 is I'm going to go away and you're going to miss me for a while and then I'm going to come back and you need to be ready. And so what he's pointing them to is how you don't lose heart in the interim. How in the time between me leaving now and my return, which is us right now, that you do not lose heart. 
And so he's teaching on that. And then he gets to chapter 18 and he begins to talk about this. He begins to talk about prayer. And notice what Luke tells us right there in chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And so Jesus makes this clear connection between not losing heart and your prayer life. He puts those right together. Luke kind of tells us this is the story he's telling and here's why he told it. And so I want you to see the context, the broader context of what he's talking about as we look at these two parables here together. Because it's going to show us a great picture on what it means to pray, what it looks like. And so before we do that, before we look at prayer, let's pray and ask that God would lead and guide our time as we spend it in his word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and it corrects us and rebukes us and encourages us. We pray that you would do that this morning through your spirit. As we often do, we just confess that without your spirit moving and leading and guiding and teaching us in this time, we are hopelessly lost. And so we pray that you would come and you would show us what you want us to see this morning in your word. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for this time we have together. And we pray all of it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And so as we look at these two parables, real simply how I want us to look at this. You'll notice we put it in the back of the bulletin. There's actually a real rough outline that goes with this. You'll see this there. But here's the thing I want you to look at. As first as it tells us, he's going to tell us some things about prayer here. And so the first thing I want us to see is when are we to pray? Secondly, how are we to pray or the attitude that we're to have in prayer? And then lastly, why does it matter? So when we're just talking about frequency, what that looks like. How are we to pray? The heart attitude. And then lastly, why it matters. And so just start right at the beginning. When are we to pray? Real straightforward, this first parable that he tells. Right? Luke even sets it off by saying, we've looked at different parables that were real difficult to get to the full meaning of. This is not one of them. It's pretty straightforward. And Luke even tells you what it's about. And so look at what he says. So Jesus speaks and he says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? And so you can see real clearly when you read that it's pretty straightforward. Jesus tells of this woman crying out to the unjust judge. And finally, because he just gets tired of hearing her, he says, I'll do it. And so Jesus turns and he says, will not God give justice to his elect who cry out day and night? Look at the way he starts at the beginning. He told this parable, Luke telling us, he told this parable to the effect that they ought to always pray. And so the picture I want you to see when we talk about when, like I said, this is very straightforward. It's very simple. Is we're to be in prayer continually. All the time. Right? Later in the New Testament, Paul will say in First Thessalonians, we are to pray without ceasing. We're to continually be in prayer. We're to persistently, continually keep asking, keep talking, keep walking with God in that each and every day. And I know that's pretty straightforward. You know, well, yeah, okay. That's, that's simple. We're, we're to pray all the time. And so you say, well, the win of we're to pray is continually. 
But I want us to think about why that's so important. A couple reasons why that's so important. We could say, well, yes, we're to pray all the time, but why does God tell us to do that? Why does Paul say pray without ceasing? Why does Jesus say that you ought to always be praying and be praying day and night? What does that look like? Why should we be doing that? And I want us to think big, big picture first on why we should be doing that. And we talk about this often and say this often, but why were you made? Why did God make you in his image after his likeness, put you in this earth? Why were you made? Uh, we can say it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we go to uh, old catechism answers, if you grew up with that. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's a fancy way of saying to have a relationship with him. To center on him. For him to be the center of your world. Or the new city catechism that we now use, we say, what is our only hope in life and death? We are not our own, we belong to God. And so we say, we say those things, we say we are to be about God in our lives. He's to be the center of our lives. He made us to have a relationship with him. There's a certain part of our being that can only ever be fulfilled by walking closely with God. You saw in the very beginning when he makes Adam and Eve in the garden and he places them there and it says that God came and walked with them in the cool of the day. And they spent time face to face with God. That's the way we were created and the way we were made. We were made to be in a relationship with him. And so when you think about it, again, this is very straightforward. This is not tricky when you think about it. Think about the closest relationships you have in your life. Whoever that is or whatever that looks like, what is the closest relationships you have? For me right now at this point in my life is my wife, Joanna. We've been married for almost 13 years. She knows me better than anyone. And I think about our relationship and I think about the way we communicate. We talk every day, multiple times every day, all day. There's days when we're both very busy, but yet we still talk on the phone multiple times throughout the day. I always talk to her around lunchtime, usually sometime in the morning, in the afternoon. How's your day going? What's happening? Constantly. We get home and we sit down. Tell me about your day. What happened? Right at night, we lay down and we go over everything we're dealing all the time. Constant communication. It's the same thing with my children. I desperately want to have a relationship with my kids. And so I, get, I may talk to Joanna on the phone and she, I say, well, what would you do? That? Well, we took the boys to the pool and then they played outside with their friends and they did this and this happened. And then I'll come home and I'll walk in and I'll ask them, Asher, what did you do today? Well, I went to the pool. Right? I want to hear it from him. I know he went to the pool and I know he played with his friends, but I'm asking because I want him to tell me. I want to hear that from him. I want to have that relationship with them. And so I ask them and I listen and I hear those things. And so when we start to think about it from that picture that God made you to center on him, to be in relationship with him. And then you hear Jesus say, ask him all the time. Or you hear Paul say, pray without ceasing. Talk to him. You were made to be in relationship with God. You were made to be talking to him. In any other relationship in our life, it would make no sense to go for days and days and days of not talking to him. Whoever it is, whoever you're closest to in your life, you wouldn't do that. You talk to people, the people you're closest to, you're talking to all the time, continually. And so there's a real simple picture of just praying without ceasing, of talking to God, because that's what you were made for. You were made to be in relationship with him. But then the question, and maybe you don't have this question, this question comes to my mind is why in the story that he tells and why when we look throughout Scripture, this, this idea of bringing your petitions before God and asking him over and over and over and over and over again. I kind of go, why like that? 
Why can't I just ask God and he just does it and then it's done? And I don't have to keep asking over and over again. Why like that? Why does it do that? Why does he do that with us? And I think part of the reason is God knows in our sinfulness and our fleshliness in our heart how quickly we forget him. How quickly we move on to other things. How quickly we can go, if he answered my prayer the first time, I'd be like, all right, everything's good, and then run off, and it'd be so easy just to move on. And I think there's times when he's wanting us, he's drawing that out of us. I want you to ask me. I want you to ask me again. I want you to ask. He's he's cultivating that relationship with us. And so he tells us to ask him over and over again. I want you to think about the context that's here. It's in Luke 17, and then he even says it here at the beginning of 18, of not losing heart. Of not becoming frustrated and not getting beaten down and all those things that come with that. And I want you to think about the picture of of why do you struggle to pray? I'm assuming that you struggle to pray at different times. I have people tell me that a lot. I say, how's your prayer life? Oh man, it's a struggle. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I know that in my own heart. There's days when it's a very big struggle. And I don't know if you're like me, but what I hear a lot when I ask that and the way I look at it in my own life, it often becomes a struggle because I get so busy with other things. Got all these things to do. And so prayer can kind of get pushed to the side. Got this to do and this to do and this to do. And I don't have time. And so it's something that can kind of get pushed over to the side. And that that can happen. Does, Does that resonate with you? Does that ever happen in your life? You go, yes. I know I need to be talking to God. I know I need to be praying, but then you get so busy. And it's easy for that to happen. And we can easily get to the point where we rely on ourselves. I mean, think about what we're saying. When we do that, and we say, I don't have time for this, we're saying it's not essential. I can get by without doing this. And so I want you to think about the way that Jesus tells this story in Luke chapter 18. There's something real interesting right in the middle of it. And everything that Jesus tells us is for a reason. I mean, the way he's the greatest teacher who ever lived. But look at what he says in verse 3. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversaries. Right? She's coming to the judge. It's an unjust judge, but she keeps coming back and asking him. Why do you think Jesus makes it a widow in the story? I think part of the picture is a widow in this culture at this time really didn't have any recourse on her own. There's really not a whole lot she could do culturally. Uh, and in fact, when you read through and you look at the uh, ancient cultures, a lot of times a woman's word didn't even mean anything in court. It didn't even count, really. And so normally she'd have to go ask her husband and then he would go and he would do it for her. But it says here she's a widow. And so when I start to think about well, why did Jesus tell this story like this? Why does this woman continue to come back over and over and over? And why like this? And I think the picture that is there is she knows so clearly I don't have any other options. She knows I can't fix this on my own. And unless he intervenes here, I can't do it. And so Jesus tells this story of her asking and asking and asking because she sees so clearly I can't do this on my own. See, the problem with us most of the time, and I'll be the first to admit it for myself, is I can fall into thinking I can do this on my own. I can push that out to the side in my life. And even though I'm really busy, I won't pray. And what I'm really saying is I think I can handle this. But yet in this story, you have this widow that she can't handle this. She can't do it. She has no other options. And so Jesus tells this picture in this story of how to 
how we are to be in need as we come. Seeing clearly who we are. I was reading this book uh, a couple years ago, and then I reread it last year with some of the guys in the discipleship house. It's by Paul Miller, and it's called A Praying Life. And so as you hear this today, and we're talking about prayer, and you're going, yes, I'm struggling with some of those things, and yes, I know I should be praying, go read that book. It's really, really helpful, and it's really simply written, and it's a really good book. But he says this one thing right in the middle of it that so nailed me to the wall when I read it. He says, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. And he says, you'll always be a little too tired and a little too busy. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't live life on your own, then no matter how busy or how tired you are, you will find time to pray. And so God tells us to continually be praying. Pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. If he wants us to realize we can't do it on our own. He's saying, I want you coming to me and seeing. And when you say that, you go, man, God sounds very egotistical. He makes it all about himself. Guess what? It is all about him. We really physically can't do it without him. I always think of uh, Jonathan Edwards saying that if God removed us from his thoughts for a moment, we would cease to exist. And yet we can function like, I don't really need that, God. I can do this without you. And so he tells us to continually come back over and over so that we're needing him moment by moment because we need him moment by moment. It's his grace and his love that he's telling us to keep asking him over and over. And so when we talk about how or when we're to pray, it's continually, all the time, continually walking with him, talking with him, praying. But then what about the attitude that's behind that. How quickly we can forget God. How quickly we can think, I can do this on my own. And then I read the second parable that he tells here. And listen to the way it's introduced in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. (laughs) How perfect. (laughs) How often I forget and I'll move and I won't pray like I should because I'm trusting in myself. And then I read, he said, told this story for those that were trusting in themselves. In themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And so he tells this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. God I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. Or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. But then the tax collector standing far off. Would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so you go, well, what's the point of that story? When we start to talk about the attitude to our prayers, what's the point that Jesus is telling us when we read that story? And I think it's pretty clearly. Right? You've got one guy who's extremely prideful and arrogant. All his prayer life, all his prayers here are talking about how great he is. Look at me and look, I'm not like these people and I'm not doing this and look at my accomplishments. And then the other guy is completely broken. I've got nothing here. God have mercy on me. And so you start to look at those two side by side and he gets to the end of the story and he says one is justified and one is not. Justified means that we are in a right relationship with God. We've been set right by what Jesus has done for us. That's the only way we can be justified. 
And so to be justified, we realize that we are hopeless sinners. It's only what God can do for us and nothing else. And the second guy got that. God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And so when we start to look at this picture of what is the, uh, the right heart issue, how are we to pray? It's in a humble dependence on who God is and nothing else. It's not coming to God to tell him how things ought to be. The other guy's going, hey, God, let me tell you what I'm doing and what this looks like and where I'm going. And the other guy's just complete dependence on God. And we get to that heart. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't bring petitions. That doesn't mean you don't pray for things that you want to see God doing. It doesn't mean you don't appeal to God's justice. But we're talking about the heart issue that's under it. Coming in absolute humble dependence and complete humility. It's not me, but it has to be you, God, and nothing else. That's the the attitude that it looks like. I mean, just think about the idea of coming to God and and, and dictating to him what things should look like. Think about the arrogance that you have to have to take that position before the God of the universe that upholds all things by the power of his word. I'm going to tell you how it ought to be. That doesn't even make sense. But yet oftentimes we'll do that. Or we'll pray and we'll ask him to do something. And when he doesn't do it fast enough, we get frustrated. Which is another way of saying you're not doing it the way I think you should do it. And we do that all the time. And so the the attitude, the, the heart attitude here is an utter dependence on God. And yes, you keep asking him. And yes, you keep coming to him. But the attitude should be humble dependence on him. Right? Even in our praise. When we see him answering prayers, it should always be quickly to say, thank you, God, for what you're doing. It's all you. I recognize that this is your hand and it's all you're doing. And so coming to him in those ways, oftentimes uh, God will graciously remind us when we don't do this. I don't know if this has happened in your life. You get to the end of this and he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. God graciously reminds us. He graciously shows us and and corrects us at different times because he loves us. And I think about that in my own life and in different ways and how quickly pride can start to creep up in your life or you can start to think I'm doing pretty good or I'm doing this or I'm doing whatever it may be. There's times when I work on a sermon throughout the week and it comes really quickly and there it is and I've got this nice outline and then, oh, this is a great illustration. I go, this is going to be the greatest sermon ever. I go, yes, I'm really excited and I go and it goes off right the way you think, and I don't forget anything or get out of order, and I get done. I'm like, all right. And then somebody comes up, and they go, that's the greatest sermon you've ever preached. And you go, thank you. And then you're inside, you're going, look at me. Right? Good job. And then they'll go, let me tell you uh, what you said that just really got me. And I go, oh, great. I'd love to hear that. And they go, the part when you said this just really nailed me, and, and you said this, and the way you said it, that was great. And I go, okay, yeah, awesome. And they'll tell you some incredible insight. God's working apply it to them, and then they walk off, and then you realize you didn't say anything that they just said. It wasn't even in the sermon, right? The one point that I thought was so great, it had nothing to do with what they said. And they, they picked up on one tiny little illustration or something, and then God applied it to their heart and their life and where they were, and he showed them, and they walked off. And it's this reminder that God says, I'm in charge here. It is my spirit that teaches and leads and correct. It's not you. And, and it used to be an ego hit. Like, man, I can't believe they didn't get the. And now it is such a wonderful reminder that he is doing it. 
That's why we pray every time, God, by your spirit, lead and teach and guide us. And that is such a wonderful, I I wouldn't be able to do this otherwise. After about three sermons, I would have quit. (laughs) Because it would have been like, this doesn't, this is no good. And it's such a gracious reminder that he humbles you in that way. And so that happens frequently. Actually, it happens quite a lot. People say that. And now I just go, yes, that's awesome. God is moving and he's at work and it's so much bigger than us. And it's such a gracious reminder. And so when we come to him in prayer, and by that way, that, just, that drives you to pray that much more. God, move and teach and guide and do this in ways far beyond anything I can come up with or tell. Or teach. And so it, it's just a great reminder. It's a reminder of having humble dependence on him in all your prayer life and in everything. To see that it's all him and he's the one moving. And so we're to be praying all the time with an attitude of of humble dependence on him. But lastly, I want us just to think of a couple things real quickly on why it's so important. Why does he push us to this? Why is this so important? Go back to the context here for this first thing. I just want you to think about this. He says here at the beginning, you always ought to pray and not lose heart. And so I'm just going to tell you, and this comes from much experience. (laughs) It's the truth of God's word, but it also comes from much experience. When you forget him and when you push him out and you start to not pray, you get too busy for that. It's a matter of time before you collapse. It's a matter of time before you can't do it anymore. (laughs) And it happens real quickly. And I've seen this cycle over and over. I get so busy and things are going. And then God brings me to a place that it's like, hello, wake up. And then I just go back to praying. And then suddenly it's like you're gliding along after that. And how quickly that happens. And the reason is you were not made to be the center of your life. And if you become the center of your life, you're taking on a weight that you can't carry. And before long, it's going to crush you. And so when we talk about not losing heart and the connection to prayer, they go hand in hand. The more you are praying, the more you are talking, the more that you are walking in utter dependence on God and who he is through his spirit, the easier it's going to be. Now, that doesn't mean everything's going to go great and that doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, but it does mean that he's going to be the one that carries you along. And when you decide to do it yourself, it's going to end poorly. And I say that from much experience. (laughs) Every time I try to do that, it ends poorly. And so there's an importance here when we say why is the only way we're ever going to not lose heart. The only way we're going to continue on, the only way we're going to be able to run with endurance is seeing that it's all him. An utter dependence on him and the moving of his spirit through what Jesus has done for us and nothing else. And it has to be that. But then the second thing, I want to encourage you with this as we end. Look at what he says in verse 7 and 8 there. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. There's this incredible thing when you read through Scripture that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all things. There is nothing that is outside of his control, and that is good news. (laughs) That is so great to be able to rest in that. But then there's this incredible thing that it says that he does things in response to our prayers. That there's things that he wants to do in your life and he's saying, just ask me. Keep coming and keep asking me and keep coming to me over and over in a humble dependence and I want to do these things. He says right here, am I not going to give you all these things? Am I not going to give justice to them speedily? And the sad part is oftentimes we don't bother to ask. We're too busy. We're too, I can do this on my own. 
And then we fret about how things are not working out. And there he is going, just ask me. Keep asking me. Keep telling me. I want to do these things. And so there is a picture in Scripture that God is going to do things in response to your prayers. To be honest, I can't explain how all that works with his sovereignty and the way that goes together. But the Bible teaches us that that goes together. And he, he tells us to ask him over and over and over again. And so I'm encouraged when I read this and I'm excited because I think if we right here as this body of believers together did this. We took Jesus at his word and we prayed continually and we asked him the things that would happen in front of us. You would not be able to believe. When we see him for who he is and we move out of an utter dependence on him, there are things that we would be overwhelmed with. And so I simply say this. As we close, as we we end today, pray. Even if it's baby steps to start. Even if it's two minutes when you get up in the, or in the night or whenever. I don't care even when you do it or what it looks like. But to come to him in a heart of utter dependence and ask him. The things that we would see. The things that would change. That he's waiting to do these things and we have this wonderful opportunity. And so I just simply say that as we end these parables... We, we have these incredible stories that Jesus explains to us. And he says, ask me all the time. Right? And it's going to answer your, your issues of not losing heart and how that works. He's going to show up in those things. I've seen that over and over. What a wonderful, glorious gift that he gives us. And so, uh, I mean, just think, Jesus comes and what he does, he gives you access to God. You can come boldly before the throne because of who Jesus is. What a gift. So let's end with with prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for these stories. I thank you for the way Jesus just graciously, you you walk with us and you teach us and you guide us and you show us and you keep telling us. And uh, I pray that we would take seriously your word. I pray uh, that we would rest in your finished work. Uh, I thank you for the truth that we're not saved by how good our prayer life is. What a wonderful gift. I pray that we would uh, continue to just move to a fuller dependence on you, that we would be talking to you moment by moment, seeking you in all things, and it would all be for your honor and your glory. We thank you, thank you. We pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen.